name's James Pikeway. I'm Paul Kelly. And this is Riman Mahdi. And welcome to Know Your Audience, the podcast. All right, Paul, we've brought yet another data scientist into the mix. This is becoming a habit of, of this podcast, but I think this is really going to open up a lot of doors in our thought process. And I say that because in our last podcast, we were talking about natural language processing, how it works, what the what the whole what that even means. And I think Diego summed it up beautifully when he described how our phones and how our computers, when we're engaged in emails or messages, how they finish the sentences. And essentially, that is natural language processing on the part of the AI system behind all of the softwares we're using, getting a sense of what we're going to say and where we're going with something. And I think that really sets us up nicely to move into where we're going in this podcast, which is getting a sense of how this is actually really complicated by language. And I got to say, before we sat down and before we started having this talk, I wasn't putting together how one language versus another language versus another language complicates natural language processing and ultimately the research process in general. Have I, have I got that right, Paul? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think um, just to add to that, in this case, what would be useful to look at, sorry, is um, just thinking about data science and what it is and how we can think about that. So, yeah, we thought we'd get Reem in because uh, Reem's a data scientist and it'd be nice to hear things from her side of the story and her perspective. And, yeah, so maybe we could start off. Well, you know what? I, I think you've, you've got a – there's a question right off the bat. I'm gonna, we're going to throw right to Reem. Is what is a data scientist? Reem, do you want to give us the, you know, the, the elevator pitch on what a data scientist is? Yeah. So uh, basically to start um, defining something as a science, you, you're referring to understanding a phenomenal or uh, something, and then you want to get deep understanding, uh, explaining the behaviors and get to the core of everything that you want to study. And by saying that we want to study data science is basically referring to understanding, finding explanations, and answering questions that are related to data. And as you mentioned previously, um, since we're working like nowadays with mobile phones, we're using like browsers and everything that is easily Googled, and you can get like massive information on the www. Uh, from that, we've accumulated like so many data and huge uh, profiles for every individual on earth uh, that could be in like different platforms, including uh, social media and, and all other platforms of communications. And uh, as I said, it's basically understanding and trying to get like the meaning out of the data that we have. So that is data science and a data scientist is the person who does that by analyzing, trying to understand the data, uh, finding, get like insights out of this data and trying to find answers to business questions. So a logical connection to what we're talking about with respect to audience research from social media and understanding the sentiment of that audience, not just how many likes, how many clicks, et cetera. It's really being able to 
to add meaning and understanding to the data. So ultimately, the marketing folks can use it for greater insight and to create better programs with respect to, to getting their ideas out. So the question that I have is, what made you get into data science as a career? Well, honestly, it was a coincidence, <laughs> but it was a nice one. Uh, so I am from Sudan. I studied there my whole life. And after I finished university, I started looking for like um, something more exciting than work. Work for me at that time wasn't exciting enough. So I thought maybe obtaining like further degree, a uh, higher degree would be a good answer to all the questions that I have. And maybe it will like put everything together and everything that I studied at uni university uh, would make much more sense than that uh, that time. So I started applying for different um, masters and I was planning to go somewhere else. Like I don't want to continue studying in my country. I would love to explore more about other countries, not only to learn the science part and develop my like um, computational like background or computer science skills, but also to get a new exposure, uh, learn a new culture and like just learn about the world. So uh, I was lucky enough to join the African Institute for Mathematical Sciences, where we mainly studied um, mathematical related courses, but only one course that was more related to computer science, which I used to rely a lot on because if you come from a computer science background, you might not have that big exposure to mathematics as your fellow applied mathematicians or like pure mathematicians do. And uh, it was very interesting for me to know that I can actually merge some statistics with mathematics as well as computational skills to, 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 to find something very interesting out of something that we already have, which is data. So I got very interested in that course and after that I decided to move further and do another research masters on that specific topic which is data science and uh, I was lucky enough yeah to find very support from like different communities um, not only in, in in South Africa back then but also in in Africa and in other institutes like um, the uh, Zindi community, which I'm currently volunteered uh, as an ambassador where I help like growing the machine learning and data science community in general uh, in Africa by introducing more and more people to the data science uh, world and allowing them to read and study data and basically how to put their skills into action by using all the um, the concepts that they have learned in, in their courses um, back in the university. Or if any one of the interested people are coming from like a different background. So I'm not saying that you have to come from like computer science 
mathematics or statistics background for you to work in data science. But I find that many, many people are joining nowadays knowing that they have like, for example, a very different background, like in forestry, some people are joining from like medical background. And those are the people who can actually um, make more effect. Why? Because they do have like a domain knowledge um, on their like specific domain. And also when they acquire these types of skills uh, they, that they could solve their problems in, in a better way than if you bring um, a data scientist who would spend like more time understanding about the market, the business, the idea, the questions that he's trying to answer, and then he will be able to, to, mm -hmm. to apply those skills. So, yeah, I think I have touched upon different <laughs> <laughs> topics by answering this question. But, yeah, I had so many things in my mind. So, so Paul, <laughs> Paul, I got a question for you. You've got two data scientists on board. How, how, as Reem has just mentioned, there there is a lot of range in what data scientists will be doing and their backgrounds. What did you look for in your data scientists for DA? <laughs> Good question. Good personalities. <laughs> I think um, you sort of nailed it there, where I guess, with that word range. I think um, range and different variety of backgrounds are critical to anything because otherwise, you know, at all costs, we have to try and avoid groupthink. Um, and that's a really dangerous concept and bias where you have your various assumptions, you know, people who have the same background as you. And that's basically what Reem was just saying same background, same. Um, perhaps training and all of that. We just confirm each other's viewpoints and, and move on. Um, what's important, I guess, in, in any kind of recruiting is, is to ensure that there's that range, um, that people have a variety of experiences, a variety of backgrounds, um, not just in recruiting, I think in life, that's just super important. Um, and in your own life, to try a number of different things. And, and you know, like I, my training's in, in economics and urban planning, like I'm not... <laughs> I'm not a marketing guy or anything like that, but my knowledge and training, you know, has come in the intervening years through experience and understanding how that all can connect up. And, and when somebody can do that, then it adds a lot of more value um, to the proposition because problems look, get looked at differently, which is what Reem just sort of said, is that you bring some domain expertise to a different set of problems or you look at um, life experience in different ways and then you understand, for instance, challenge, challenges that different communities might have. All those sorts of things can stack up and that's why it's uh, it's very important to get that word back to, again, range and, and not do the Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. <laughs> One of one of the things that I find interesting, and and Reem in her your conversation, in explaining why you got into data science and and your background, and then how this all links in with DA, something that that eluded me, and it really wasn't until we started talking with Diego about natural language processing, is the importance of language in the whole coding process in the this whole technical background side of looking at audiences and going through content to get a sense of their sentiment. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about that, Reem, and how important and how integral understanding language is when you're working with code? 
Yes, definitely. Of course, that you have to work with different um, building libraries uh, for you to solve a problem, let's say like a sentiment analysis. If we have uh, different posts, let's say that are collected from one of the social media platforms, and now you want to know exactly what is this person is talking about, or maybe not even interested in classifying the topic, but you're now interested in finding the sentiment and you want to know if that like specific post is negative or is, is it positive or it's just a neutral post that has no like percentage of uh, classification, no clear uh, division. In that sense, you would be interested in knowing the relationship between each and every word with the other words in that specific sentence. And of course, when we're talking about social media, we need also to think about emojis and, and their effect on the total, like the whole sentence. So for example, if I say, what a good morning, of course, if I say it in Arabic, what a good morning, and I put a, very, a smiley face, that could refer to something nice. So it's more of a positive uh, sentiment. But then if I say what a day or what a morning, and then I saw a crumby face, I put a crumby face or an angry face emoji that in that sense, it would be more of a negative um, uh, post. So when it comes to languages and specifically Arabic, since it has like a different structure than English, which is the mostly um, used and common, commonly used language um, worldwide, uh, you would find difficulties, especially if you're not very familiar with the context um, of that specific post. So one word, one word for example, um, uh, uh, it could refer to I and it could refer to Alain, which is the, 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 the town in, in Abu Dhabi, or it could also refer to a brand name. So any one of these uh, categories will classify, like understanding the structure of the of the post will allow you to classify that specific post into those different categories. Now you will know what is this person is talking about. Is he referring to the brand? Or is he referring to the place? Or is he referring to part of the body? So that adds more complexity. So understanding the structure of every sentence would be beneficial rather than just applying the built-in libraries and calling functions uh, to find like sentiment or classification for each and every posts, for example. And how, do you, how do you factor in then for the added complexity on top of what's already very complex of dialects? And when you start changing that, not only within the UAE, but within Saudi and you've got Kuwaiti dialects and that must just magnify and intensify the challenge that you're facing in this process. Yes, as you said, it, it um, makes the problem more complicated. But now, instead of just throwing everything away and then started, starting from scratch, building your own model, in that case, you will need huge power for you to run like your models. You will need very big amount of data to rely on and for for that you would be you would need maybe people to help you like doing those types of classification manually either if you want to classify 
the topic for each and every sentence or if you want to classify the uh, sentence into like different sentiments and uh, if now you want to compare these two and if we are running like on we have a business and we want it to run on so we we will make use of the existing technologies and what's already have been built and then we can just use that as a baseline and then we can build upon that so i think um to solve this problem not only for arabic language but also for any other uh languages you would make use of the existed building models and then move on try to build like more complexities uh on the top of of, of the building models as a data scientist how far along do you think we are in this process I think it's rapidly moving because uh, if you have a look at like um, languages like natural language processing uh, functions or models or even processes that used to be done in the early 20s, it's not like what we have now. And of course, it won't be the same as what we will see in 10 years or maybe even one year from now. Uh, the number of data scientists are an, an increase, as I mentioned earlier. Now people are joining from very varied disciplines. Uh, that's one thing. Secondly, uh, there is more interest from the companies to make use of their data, which also encourages more people to join. And third, um, I think worldwide, there is this tendency to move towards uh, technology, which has got like huge support from different governments uh, around the globe. So in that sense having more data encourages more people to join which in helps in solving those different problems now talking about languages um as far as i know that there were like only one group previously used to work in 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 solving arabic related uh, uh dialect sentiment uh, like all these types of problems that are related to specifically to arabic but then um now it's like increasing um, in numbers and now we have like different various groups who are working on Arabic language specifically. We have a big group in the UAE in Abu Dhabi, uh, New York University in Abu Dhabi. They are work, they, their work in Arabic language is very intense and it keeps growing. They do have very updated and strong models that everyone can use. And uh, now, if you look at other languages, I'm aware that um, there is a big group uh, um, of like data scientists from Africa that are focusing on developing uh, corpus for minor languages like Swahili. So I think the focus on data science in general is 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 increasing and. To when when we talk about like natural language processing specifically, it's it definitely increases much more than before, and it will keep increasing due to the fact that the data is increasing. <laughs> I don't know if I make myself clear, but yeah, I mean like it's a cycle. Everything that affects on something, which affects on something, which increases the cycle. That is how I see it, honestly. <laughs>
just to add to that, I think as well, um, James talking about a bigger level, um, I guess the amount of data in the world, I I guess, increases exponentially almost, but the usefulness of that is only a tiny fraction Um, in, in whatever pursuit you're doing. I'm not saying generally, I'm saying like to us, to you, to developing a new technology, et cetera. And, and making sense of that is just obviously becoming more and more important because there's a lot of noise. It's that old sort of back to the audio, getting the signal from the noise um, and, and, and understanding exactly what you need to do and what can be useful and what to discard, almost more importantly, is, is going to become more and more important as a general field. And I'm not just talking here about us or what we do. I think just generally in the world that unless unless we are able to sort of process and make sense of the data and sort of have different information points come to light, um, it, it's going to be more and more difficult for, for people to continue doing what they're doing today. Um, I think as we evolve and as time moves on, you know, cities, for example, need to be run. There's so many information points about how a city runs that potentially don't get used, for example, like on an individual basis they do, say with an electricity authority or a transport authority. But stitching all that together is going to be the work in the future of of data scientists. And as we've talked about a lot, um, almost every episode, I think you can't, really conflate data with insight. They're two different things. Um, understanding information is a really, really important thing. And that is typically AI can help us process the data and, and, and put things together. But understanding the implications of, of, of data is really a job for humans. And I think that's the really interesting next phase of, of I guess, really young children today is that the world that they come to work in. I think all this hyperbole about um you know, machines taking our jobs and things like that is just as it's always been false. I mean, people were saying that about the steam engine, right? And all it did was change fundamentally the role that society has for people coming into it. And as we become smarter, we need to leverage it, you know, like what well, you just start to think about all the possibilities, right? Like we, it wasn't that long ago that life, I don't know, it's not an even by any token um, measure around the world, but I'm speaking generally about life expectancy, for instance, in developed countries. It's not that long ago that that was, you know, significantly less than what it is today. And that's because of our, our um, ability to process information is is getting better and better and better. So we're understanding, as Reem said, in medical science, we've got people working on how to predictively diagnose um, various ailments or, or to help prescribe what's wrong or to help doctors make decisions, um, to, to have those information points to make faster decisions instead of waiting days for a prognosis. You know, it can happen quicker. Same thing happening with getting efficiencies out of electricity plants and things like that. You don't, you might not need to build an extra coal fire power facility because you can understand how to get efficiencies out of an existing one by just looking at data. Do you know what I mean? It's not an engineer going in and, you know, looking a civil engineer, for instance, looking at a structure and going, oh, maybe you should just build a new plan. It's about understanding that and then working downstream about demand management. All those things are coming together in building blocks and changing at a rapid pace. And, and it's something that people need to understand. I think we've touched on it in many episodes that this isn't a big business thing. It's a big business leverage, is it? Because potentially in a lot of use cases, it requires a significant investment. But 
Um, it's something that's touching us on a daily basis, getting right back to the start of this episode when we were talking about phones and autocorrect and predictive text and all that sort of thing. Like every day our life is being made a little bit better in some cases. Sometimes it's a bit clunky. Like if we think about the development of voice assistants, for example, like we think about Siri and, and those types of Cortana, all those things 10 years ago or maybe not 10, 5 or whenever they came out compared to today, the accuracy just improves every time, every time. And that's because in the background, we have data scientists pulling together information points to make better decisions that then help the coders write better code, understand how this all comes together. And yeah, it's just, I think it's a, it's a really big topic that I think, you know, we, d we don't often think about, about how the, the opportunity that lays ahead for future generations isn't one to be scared about, it's one to embrace and to think differently about. And um, our life is demonstrably better through understanding the information in the world around us. I get, I get the sense that we know this is all happening and we're seeing it happen around us, but there is still this apprehension. And I mean, you've highlighted it, Paul. People say, oh, this, is, this AI, the, this data is going to take away our freedom. This data is going to give us give people too much information that they can manipulate in all sorts of ways. What do we do to can to get people to realize that it's it's really a helpful thing what we're talking about? I think in in any pursuit, there's nefarious actors, right? There's people that will always try and leverage whatever it is. So whether you're whether you're talking about data or you're talking about anything in life, there's always people who try and ill ill get gains from that whatever it is, right? Like if you think about everything from gambling to <laughs> Everything like that. Um, I, I think that's something that, yeah, it gets attention. So you sort of start to hear about things because it's newsworthy. I think we've talked about and demonstrated before how short cycle news is and how it influences public opinion, but for a very short amount of time. People forget very quickly, and that's an unfortunate thing. I think about today's news cycles and the need for clicks and revenue, and it's a whole different story. But where I'm getting at at that is that news cycles drive these this information and disinformation. And when you're talking about people being worried um, about, say, how their data is used, then they should be. <laughs> um, you need to really understand terms and conditions of what you sign up for, and that's that's the same as buying a house. You know, people wouldn't just sign away their life on a house, mortgage, right? You understand that you'll be paying for this thing for maybe 20 years. Um, but some people don't take that same care when they sign up to take photos of their kids on Instagram or something, you know. Um, that's an education thing. And I think future generations will be more and more aware of that because privacy will be controlled by the people who use these things and, and they'll vote with their feet, so to speak. So I think that putting that to one side, I think the opportunities are immense because if we can get back to a position where people don't need to be, for instance, sitting in an office or a factory or something from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. or something like that, but instead are in a shorter amount of time, for example, like it's 10 to 4 or something, and they've got a better quality of life because there's a better information flow, they're understanding how things can happen, they're making better decisions faster, I guess using the medical example for it from earlier, lives are being saved, um, decisions are being made about who to treat, and when to treat, and how, so somebody can be unnecessarily using resources that perhaps doesn't need immediate treatment. Um, all those sorts of things can can make our life a lot better, and I think it's 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 our condition to sort of 
take the bad news and the scary news and in, in our realm of the world it's like people get nervous about when they talk about something and then they see an ad for it but like nine eight times out of ten that's just purely coincidental it's the rest of your life that is giving the machine signals that you're interested in that product and it's just because you're talking about it you're also googling stuff every time you google something unless you explicitly state it google's keeping that data on you and tracing it to you you know you're using google maps it's using your transit data all that type of stuff comes together um and and then you'll get an ad for something and it just so happens that you were talking about it with somebody because you've been googling you've gone to different websites you're on social media visiting profiles so the machine can build that profile of you and i think people unnecessarily get nervous about this stuff because i mean a lot of products that i've bought for instance in the last year i would never have known about unless i i had that information targeted at me i'm i'm happy to accept this stuff because it makes my life easier i don't need to go to 16 different shops on my time off to find a i don't know like we we're talking about earlier like like ski gloves or you know insulated like a beanie or something you know like i don't need to go everywhere because i'm getting ads for places where i can go and choose to buy them online and i'm not wasting my time these cumulative effects build up over time so that we have more time for ourselves and i think in the uae that's sort of coming to light post pandemic as we've changed work habits and you know flexible working and that type of stuff is coming more to the fore and it's harder it's a lot harder from government and private enterprise of course but like as we move on this stuff is 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 changing it's making our life better incrementally but the bad news takes precedent you know so and and that's and that's something that is probably going to happen so long as advertising supports media um that's just that's just going to be that's how it's going to work unfortunately and seeing beyond that i think when people start to have this more demonstrable ease of life that things become clearer to us that like hey actually you know what this is better i'm better overall for this i want to give the last word to reem because she you you've really touched on so many things paul and reem you're you're in the fray of of data science and natural language processing what excites you that's coming on the horizon in this field of of study and experimentation and data gathering? What excites you? Yeah, so I think uh, in regard to that, um, when you talk about like natural language processing, now you're thinking about different um, topics that you can touch upon. Like, for example, the differences between translation and literization. Uh, for specific topics, you might need literization more than translation. And um, when we previously mentioned the sentiment analysis, you, you might not be interested in like just uh, classifying any sentence or any post into uh, neutral, positive or negative. Maybe now you might think of like in that positive, how positive? Is it like 100% positive, 70% positive, which might increase uh, the horizon uh, in that um, topic specifically. So now instead of not only looking at three categories of sentiment, now you want to increase your box and maybe upgrade it to 10, or maybe, maybe you can think of it as a ranking system where you, you do not want only to look at the sentiment as these three uh, very rigid boxes. You want to allow some kind of interfering between these uh, boxes. And uh, also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 
like topic classification is very interesting because um, imagine if we're now like if you're a journalist and you have like a huge pile of um, old topics or like let's say articles that you've written and you want to classify them uh, you could either choose to do it manually which will take a lot of time or you could actually just apply a machine learning model and use that to classify all these articles into different categories, political, um, sport-related, religious-related, and whatever topics that you're interested in. So those are some of the topics that I feel like they are more interested, uh, interesting to me, at least at this point. And uh, I would love to learn more about how can I like make improvements on the like available models to get to like higher accuracy and to reach that like very <laughs> the nice <laughs> state of the art models that will allow you to do all of this. That sounds awesome. That's uh, you know what this whole conversation has made me really excited about data science and I'm kind of going. I need to go back to school. It's not too late. I need to go back to school because this just seems really, it's A, it's really interesting. B, it's really applicable. And C, it's really needed. So th this is, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all three. It's, it's fantastic. Definitely. It's very easy nowadays, like to go online and then just surf the internet to find what are the most useful uh, resources for you. You can find them in all different formats, articles, videos, audiobooks, and even podcasts. There are many, many resources that you can rely upon to increase your knowledge in that domain and nowadays everything becomes like very easy to call everything is building um if you want to start from like building an application tonight in 10 lines of codes that are understandable to you in a very high high language like the language that we use now to speak use very small phrases to call specific functions and it does what you want Reem, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun, really enjoyable. And I look forward to having more conversations with you about this whole process and how it becomes important. Paul, we, we've done it again. We have. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting conversation. We've opened more doors. And, and I like to think that the process of having these conversations is just bringing this whole subject matter, this whole topic, a little bit closer to everyone so that they can make better decisions when it comes to yep. how they're dealing with data and ultimately how they're going to get insight from it. Yeah. And that's the aim. That's, that's exactly it. And the more that people realize that the world around them doesn't necessarily, this isn't just for big business, it's for everybody. Then um, like we've discussed it many times before, the, the better, for the adoption, the better we can bring everything together and, and the more people get helped. So it's great. On that note, I'm James Pikeway. I'm Paul Kelly. Hi, Reem and Maddie. Thank you for having me. And this is Know Your Audience. <laughs> <laughs>